lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. Hello, everyone. This is Rabbi Mel speaking. You're on From Morning to Morning, uh, which teaches you that you can lose someone and come out the other end to a life of joy and happiness and celebration. So tonight, I have no guests. Uh, You're stuck with me. I like to do that occasionally. And before I talk about what I said I was going to talk about, I want to talk about somebody who died this past week, Gene Wilder. It's very interesting that when a loved one that that was very close to you, that you knew and saw all the time, like a parent or a sibling or a spouse died, so you feel very bad and, and, and that's called grief and then you spend a period of time mourning that grief, and hopefully, as I say, you come out the other end. Gene Wilder died, and we're all upset, and we're all in grief, as we say. So it makes me wonder, you know, I didn't know Gene Wilder, and you didn't either. And yet, we went to see movies with him, and we saw him on television, and we saw him win plenty of awards for acting and writing and performing. And and when he died, we were all very, very sad because we're never going to be able to see him again except on Netflix, but it won't be the same. So I asked myself the question, why would I care so much, so, so much and, and be in grief for the death of someone whom I didn't know personally? He didn't know me, I didn't know him, and yet it was very sad. You know, a few weeks ago, Eli Wiesel died. I knew him. We had talked together several times, and he wrote me some letters, and uh, when he died, I felt exceptionally awful. As a Jew, here are two men who were both Jewish, and they left this world, and I was affected by the death of both of them. It's very interesting. Celebrities are people just like the rest of us. They're human beings just like you and me. So it should come as no surprise that their lives have an expiration date as well. And 2016 seems to be the year many of those dates expire, like when you go shopping at the supermarket 
you're going through the milk and trying to find the furthest date from the present, only to discover that the whole shelf is due to expire on the same day. My wife has trained me to stick my hand as far back in those skim milk bottles as possible so I can get the latest expiration date. Now I just do it as a habit. I, I don't even think about it anymore. Expiration dates. I haven't met a lot of celebrities in my life. Don't know whether you have or not. Those I have met have been brief encounters, like with Elie Wiesel. Certainly not long enough to form a lifelong bond over which to grieve upon their passing. Once in a while, though, someone famous dies. For example, when JFK was shot, November 22, 1963, and the majority of the country, including me, was reduced to tears. At last, I understood how that must have felt for the adults then, who knew him much better, knew of him much better than I did. Now, when I heard about Gene Wilder, I will admit that I had tears in my eyes. I'm an adult, you know, I'm almost old, <laughs> not yet, but in 20 years I'll be old. And I admit I cry a lot more now than I ever have before. I'll cry at a TV program that's moving. I cried during the Olympics when Usain Bolt ran his races, and he always won. It's something that happens, I guess, as you, as you age, your emotions get to you. Gene Wilder was a hero. I didn't know him, but he was a hero. So I want to just talk out loud with you why the death of a man I never met has reduced me to the emotional equivalent of a rubble. You remember his famous line, hold your breath, make a wish, and count to three. Around the age of five or six, I distinctly recall hearing Gene Wilder's voice and becoming instantly mesmerized. Now I'm 69 years old. I fail to recall the wish I made then, and whether it came true or not, but what I do remember was being captivated by Gene Wilder's on-screen persona, his transformation from mere human to the timeless, immortal, and fantastical Willy Wonka. I listened to him. I watched that movie a lot on my VHS. Remember those? To the point where the music and the dialogue would occasionally slur like a drunken uncle at a 4th of July barbecue. But of course, to a child like me, none of that mattered. When I was alone with Wilder's performance, I was transported to a, in a somewhat literal sense, to a land of pure imagination in my childhood mind. It really was the land where I was free to change my world as I saw it. 
That imagination sparked me to dream, to create, to write, and eventually to teach others to do the same. Gene Wilder was about as good a man as any other man ought to be. And I can think of few celebrity role models about whom I can confidently say that. And I want you to know that in a final act of inspiration, according to a note released by his son, Jordan Walker Perlman, Wilder hid his battle with Alzheimer's disease from the general public. You see, when he was out and about, and he was, so kids would see him on the streets, and they would say, there's Willy Wonka. And he knew enough about the situation that he was suffering with, Alzheimer's disease, that he didn't want to disappoint the kids and say, well, I'm not really Willy Wonka, I'm Gene Wilder, or, well, you know, I'm Willy Wonka, but I'm dying. He told his son he didn't want to upset the little kids. So what sticks out for me is the phrase transformation. When you saw Gene Wilder in a movie, you were transformed and your world was transformed. And he let you know that the world could be a better place than it is now. He was your role model. He taught you that just by the language that he used and how he treated other people. And he made you laugh, didn't he? He made me laugh. Every time I went to see him, I remember Blazing Saddles. I have to see it again next week. I love that movie. I was laughing and laughing and laughing. Of course, you know, being Jewish just added to the fun because there are so many Jewish symbols in that movie. I was so proud of him because he was proud of being Jewish. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. 
That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Glazer, I'm back. So I've just been talking about Billy Wilder's death and um, Gene Wilder, I'm sorry, and how that affected me. And now I'd like to go on to the topic that I wrote you about. And for those of you who saw my Facebook Live before the show, there's a book that I read that I bought last year. It's called I Will Die. It's a creative journal for mortals written by Jessica Featherly. Again, I Will Die. And you can, I'm sure, just Google I Will Die at Amazon. You'll be able to find it. She asks questions about death. And about how you feel about it. And, well, I'm going to ask myself some of those questions. And you'll hear my answers. If your answers are different than mine, then I want you to write me and tell me. At Rabbi Mel at GriefOK.com. So the first question, she asks a lot of questions. Um about a hundred. I don't have time for a hundred. Well, I do, but you don't. <laughs> Network doesn't. So I'll start in the beginning. She asks, do you often think about death and dying? My answer is yes. I often think about it, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. And I've been in situations where I could have thought about it, You know, a year ago or so, I was in the hospital for heart surgery. I I had a bad atrial valve, and I went to Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, and they fixed it. Well, they took it out, and they gave me a brand new one. Now, some people would have worried about dying I did not worry about dying because I guess I'm too arrogant to think that God is ready for me yet. And I'm not finished doing what I want to do, which is teach you about grief. Now, I will admit that there were times during uh, right after that surgery when I was a crazy man. I had delusions. I thought that aliens had captured me. That's the truth. I, I, I was afraid the nurse was an alien and she had transported me to another place in New York City. And, oh, it was horrible. 
But in no time did I think about dying. I have too much faith in God's wisdom. And the only thing that I think about is that when God is ready for me, God will take me. Everything has its time and its moment. Mine hasn't come. I feel good. I've recovered. I exercise every three times a week. And so I am not afraid of death and dying. Next question. Write down all the euphemisms you can think of that people use for death. Oh, that's a favorite topic of mine, as you know. Nobody dies anymore. They passed. You can see it all over the place. They don't, nobody dies. They passed. Well, they passed to what? Well, I guess what the person is talking about is they passed on to the next world. Well, I think you should say they died. He lived, he died. Very simple, very short, complete, clear. When, when I say somebody passed, you don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, you know I mean that the person died. But where did he pass to? What is he, where is he now? You don't know that. And I don't know that. So let's be honest and say they died. Now, I've talked many times about how society tries to make us afraid of death. One of the ways that it does that is to change words that we use. So a, um, let's see, you know, a funeral coach, have you heard that phrase before? A funeral coach is how they transport you from the funeral home to the cemetery. Only that's not what you and I grew up calling it. We call the one who died, we don't, we don't call him dead, we call him the deceased. He expired. Uh, even the Bible has euphemisms, actually. Even the Bible. The Bible says he went to live with his fathers, slept with his generations. So even the Bible, in the times of the Bible, people were afraid to just say the truth. I wish people would use the right words more than they do now. People who just say, can't seem to say he died or she is dead. I think that's too bad. I think it just makes it more difficult. Okay. So, another question. What if you could live forever? Would you want to? My answer is absolutely no. I would not want to live forever. For all kinds of reasons. First, if I kept getting older, think of how I would look when I was 120 years old. Now, Moses was 120 years old. I don't even want to think about how he must have looked. That guy worked hard. He was 80 when God picked him to take the Jews out of Egypt, take the Israelites out of Egypt. And he was the leader of the Israelite nation for 40 years. He was 120 years old. 
I don't want to be that old, especially if I can't be handsome and gorgeous like I am now, if you know what I mean. But that's not the real reason. The real reason is I believe that the next generation has to have its own opportunity to fix this world. Yes, our generation has tried to do the best we can. Uh, we haven't done so well, maybe, in some areas. We've done better in other areas. But I think that, that my kids and my grandchildren deserve an opportunity to fix the world. In Hebrew, we call that tikkun olam, to repair the world. See, we believe that when God created the world, he left it unfinished. And he created us, you and me, to be his partners to make the world a perfect world. Now, whether we can ever make that world a perfect world, I don't know. But I do believe that when we do the best we can, and the world is as good as it possibly can be, that is, every man and woman and child is free to live their lives without being bothered by anybody else. A teacher of mine once said, "If when it's dark outside, you look up in the sky and you see the stars and you know that there are stars and planets and asteroids and all kinds of space junk up there. And by some miracle of nature or God, nothing bumps into anything. There's peace up in the heavens. And our prayer should be that just as there is peace in the heavens, there should be peace here on earth. That is, I can be Jewish, you can be Muslim, he can be Christian, he, she can be Buddhist. Nobody bothers us. Nobody tries to make us something that we're not. Nobody, nobody tries to um, kill us because we're different than they are. Let's just everybody be able to live the life that gives them satisfaction and gives them meaning. That's what I think about. That's what I think, you know, should happen. Now, I believe that when that does happen, if, please God, it happens, then God will bring the Messiah. I don't know who the Messiah is, and you don't either. I don't know whether the Messiah is going to be a man or a woman, and you don't either. In fact, nobody does. So we're all right in how we portray who we believe the Messiah is. Or, as some people said a long time ago, uh, the day before the Messiah comes, when we will have perfected the world, the Messiah will already be here amongst us. I know a wonderful story whose punchline is, uh, you are the Messiah. And I have a friend who's a poet who says, if the person sitting next to you was the Messiah, would you treat him or her differently than you do now? Now think about that. It's deep theology. I don't care what your religion is or isn't. If the person sitting next to you is really the Messiah, truly, 
wouldn't you treat them differently than you do now? I'll let you think about that. Next question she asks, does love end at death? Does love end at death? Again, my answer is absolutely not. My grandmother died, I don't remember how long ago, 40 years ago? I love her still. I remember her. I remember being with her. I remember the things she taught me. I remember my parents. I remember my best friend who was a rabbi who was killed with his wife uh, in a plane crash. I've written about it in my book, A GPS for Grief and Healing. Read about it. He was flying back to his congregation in D.C. to sign his name to a, a rabbinical contract which would give him life tenure at his congregation. And on that flight, there was a crash and he and his wife died. So you could say that he did get life tenure, just not in this life. But love, I don't believe that love dies at death. We all leave memories. And when I remember my friend Kenny, and I remember all the things that he taught me, that's love. That love will never, ever go away. He died physically, but what made him him is still here. And so what I loved in him then, I still love now. Okay. Let's see. She has a page and a half, a list. My biggest fears about dying. I'm just going to read it and maybe talk about one or two. But as I read it, I want you to think, about whether this is a fear that you have of dying and what will happen after you die. People I love dying before I do. Fear I will miss out. Dying alone and unloved. That others will blame me for my own death. That I won't be remembered. That I have no legacy. That I'm leaving a huge mess behind. I'll miss my children growing up. It will hurt. I won't be able to catch my breath. Suffering. My life will have been pointless. Not knowing what comes next. Not having lived as fully as I want. That I'll wish I could have done it sooner. That I won't, that it won't happen quickly. That I won't get into heaven that I'll have forgotten to lock the front door. I guess that's a joke. That it will break my family's hearts. Being a burden on others, my pride will be hurt. The indignity of being a corpse, being unprepared. That my pets won't be taken care of. That my family will see everything on my hard drive, uh-oh. That's a big one. Not for me, but for lots of you. Losing control. My to-do list won't get done. 
the possibility that my consciousness might linger, looking really awful, losing my mind. My death will be stupid. My cherished memories will die with me. That I didn't do more with the time I had. Being forgotten, darkness, annihilation. My end of life's wishes won't be respected. Fear of the unknown, I will be no more. And finally leaving behind some unfinished business. I think all of us have those fears, some more than others, some less than others, but they're all normal. Every one of them is normal. They're legitimate fears. And I'll tell you the worst thing that I'm not afraid of, but, but upsets me and makes me very sad. And that is the day after I die, the sun will rise just like it did today. The day after I die, the sun will rise just like it did today. How could that possibly be? How could the world go on without me? I know I'm arrogant, but still, how can the world go on without me? Well, it can and will. And people will begin not to think about me so much. And that's the way of the world. And that's totally normal. There's nothing wrong with that. I'll feel bad about it. But you may not. Well, some of you will, but some of you won't. But whether you feel bad about it or you don't, sun is going to rise the next morning. Next question. Do you ever think about suicide? My answer is absolutely not. But thank God I've never been in a place where I've been so ill whether physically or emotionally, that I would think that it would be better off to be dead. I'm not judging anybody who attempts suicide. A lot of you, I'm sure, have attempted suicide. Write me. Write me. We can talk about it. Rabbi Mel at griefok.com. We can talk about it. Why did you think about committing suicide? Aren't you glad you were unsuccessful? I hope you are. We have so many new ways to help people now. Mental health industry is flourishing, fortunately and unfortunately. And so the need for people to commit suicide has lessened, I hope. Still, there are people who feel so bad. You remember? 9-11, I remember seeing pictures of people jumping out the, the window of the World Trade Center. Why? They didn't want to die, but they didn't want to get burned up either. And so they chose what they thought would be the lesser of two evils. They were probably right. They were probably right. Because if fire is coming at you, you don't want to get burned up by it. It's just too painful. You jump out the window, yeah, it hurts going down maybe, air pressure and all that, 
but at the end doesn't hurt. So there are a lot of people listening to me who have thought about suicide, who have tried to commit suicide. All I can hope and pray for is that you're in a better place now, that you feel better about yourself and about your world. If you don't, write me. We'll talk about it. Our next question. Do you have the right to choose how you will die? Oh, that's such a hot topic these days, isn't it? I believe you do. I went two days ago to visit a woman in hospice. She's going to die this week. She knows it, and we talked about it. And she said it was her decision, and she knew she was dying, and all she wanted was pain meds so she wouldn't hurt. She'd been in a lot of pain from whatever diseases or heart or, or stroke or whatever she had that was afflicting her. And she decided, you know, she was 85 years old. Enough's enough. It's time to go. And so she was there and I went to see her and we talked. And I, and I said, you made the decision to have the doctors leave you alone and go to hospice. She said, yes, I did make that decision because I did not want to live too long in pain. It wasn't worth it. It just wasn't worth it. So I pray for her. I pray for her soul. And I hope she dies quickly and in peace. And she will. And we talked about it. She'll start to sleep more. She'll start to breathe uh, differently and heavier. And finally, she'll just, she'll just die. She just won't wake up from her sleep. But I believe you have the right to choose. Now me, I don't want to be in pain at the end of my life either. So how will I decide it's time for me to go? I want to die at home, surrounded by my wife and the people that love me, the other people who love me. I want to be able to watch television. I want to be able to read a book. I want to be able to have conversations with people. I want to be able to teach people about uh, how to be a better human being and how to deal with grief, how to say goodbye. And I'll be their role model. I'll be their teacher. I don't want to be hooked up on a ventilator. I don't want that. It's unnatural for me to think about not being able to talk because you're being uh, breathed, you're being kept alive on a ventilator. So I, I don't want to do that. I want, and it, we wrote it out, and it's in a drawer here at home. It's exactly what we want and exactly what we do not want. So I believe you have the choice. You have to make it. I want to donate my organs. I'm not going to donate my entire body. Uh, science has enough, you know, John Doe's who die that medical students don't need my body to practice on. 
and they sure don't need my heart either uh, because it's damaged. It's all right, but it's not perfect. But yes, I want to give my my eyes. I, I want to give what other what what other organs in my body are still usable. And if I can save somebody else's life, you know, wouldn't you want to do that? I would want to do that. So I'm going to donate. So on my driver's license, it should be on your driver's license. It should be on your driver's license. Okay, next question. Questions you'd like answers to before you die. Well, I asked, well, you know what? No, I'm not going to wait till the break. We have about a minute left. I would, I would want to know why it takes so long for peace to come to this world. And if there were a Messiah, I would ask him, why in God's name is he taking so long? We need him. We miss him or her. The world is in trouble. We need you to make it better. That's the question I would want an answer to. So it's time for a break. I'll be right back. Don't go away. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, this is Rabbi Mel. I'm back. I've been reading questions from a book called I Will Die, which you should buy. I don't get any money from this, but it's a wonderful book because she simply asks questions. The author, whose name is Jessica Featherly, 
Go to Amazon, click on I Will Die, and you'll get the book. She has questions about your death and about what happens before and after. And, um, you know, I don't want to say it's going to be a happy dinner conversation, but, you know, you can invite some friends over to your house one night for dinner, and then afterwards you could um, discuss these questions. I think they're powerful questions. All right, here's a sort of question that sort of made me laugh. She asks, what will happen to all your other's stuff when you are gone? What will happen to all your other stuff when you are, when you are gone? Well, my answer is very simple. I don't care. I just don't care. I'm not going to be around. So I guess because I believe I'm going to die before my wife does. That's her punishment. She has to deal with all my stuff. I got a thousand books. She's going to have to do something with them and some other, you know, memorable things that I care about. But uh, I'm not going to have to worry about it. That's the only liberating thing about death that I, that keeps me going sometimes. Then she asked the question, list everything you'd like to eat for your last meal. I refuse to answer that question on the grounds that my wife will kill me dead. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Do you have any memories of death from your childhood? I sure do. When I was 12 years old, my daddy died. But before he died, uh, he was sick for a year, and he stayed at home. He worked, but he couldn't work for the final year, and he knew he was dying. He wouldn't talk to uh, me or my brother and sister about it. I don't know whether he said anything to my mom about it, but he told a family maid, which was very interesting. He told a family maid he knew he was dying. So, as I said, he was, for a year, he lived at home, couldn't work, we didn't know why. I was very afraid of what the reason was, but I couldn't talk to him about it. So, one day, we're all at home, and uh, he gets sick, and my mom calls the, the 911 people, and they come get him, put him on a gurney, and I'm in the bathroom hiding. That, to this day, the bathroom has been my favorite hiding place of any place in the world. When I don't want to be bothered, I go in the bathroom and I read, and I don't think about anything else. Yeah, I know it's stupid, but everybody's got a place, and that was my place. So... Uh, my mother knocked on the door and she said, come out and say goodbye to your father. And I had a sneaking suspicion that that meant for the last time. And I just could not bring myself to do it. And then he died a week later. I just, and then I hated myself because I didn't say goodbye to him. And I didn't say all the things that I have taught, tried to teach you about how you say goodbye to people. I didn't forgive him. 
for the things that he did or didn't do or said or didn't say that gave me pain. I didn't apologize for the things I said or didn't say or did or didn't do caused him pain. We didn't talk about any, any times we shared together. I didn't get a chance to tell him I loved him. And I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. They took him to the hospital and soon after he died. And they wouldn't let us go to the funeral because the adults thought that they were protecting us from the pain of grief. As a result, I could not say the word daddy for 20 years, 22 zero years. And that's the day I became a grief expert. And my whole life, you know, I've had other losses. My mom died, my grandmother died, all my aunts and uncles died, all my grandparents died, my best friend, as I said before, died, my pets, my dogs died when I was growing up. I mean, I've seen death and I help prepare bodies. I wash bodies and dress bodies uh, and sit with bodies for our Hever Kedisha, our holy society of the Jewish community here. That's what we do. That's the highest mitzvah. That's the highest commandment and good deed that we can do. We can never let them be alone. Well, I let my daddy die. He was alone. And I feel very, very sad about it. But I learned a lot. You know, if somebody dies and a parent comes to me and says, well, I have a six-year-old and I don't think I'm going to take him to the funeral in the cemetery, I say, yes, you are, for two reasons. One, they're going to know that the family is excluding them. And they're not going to like it. And it's going to have repercussions. And two, they're going to think that the cemetery is a worse place than it actually is. Cemeteries are just pieces of land. In Israel, they use cemeteries for parks. Kids run around in cemeteries. It's a playground. So the kids have to know what a cemetery looks like before they have to go to a funeral. Which is why we take our seventh grade class to visit our local Jewish cemetery every year at the end of the year. Last day of the school year, um, in June, we take them on a trip, class trip to the cemetery. And we point out what's written on the gravestones and who's been there the longest and other kinds of facts. So I have a lot of experience uh, with uh, watching people die and um, being with them when they, when they die. This lady that I went to see in the hospice, so she had no family. And so I touched her, touched her hands and caressed her hands. And then I put my hand, my two hands on her head and I gave her the priestly benediction. May God bless you and keep you. May God's countenance shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God always walk with you and grant you peace. And then I said, Amen, and she did too. So that was the best I could do, I felt. But I've had a lot of experience with death, and it's not scary at all.
It's not scary. It's a holy experience. If you have the opportunity to be with a loved one when they're dying, and when they die, you should take it. Your life will be different. Your life will be changed because God will be in the room with you. I believe that. I believe that. Okay. What's the best thing about a slow death? And what's the worst thing? The best thing about a slow death is that you can do all those things that I said before. You can forgive. You can apologize. You can thank. You can tell them you love them. And you can say goodbye. You have the time to do that. If they're hit by a bus, you don't have time to do that. If they drop dead from a heart attack or a stroke, you don't have time to do that. So the best thing about a slow death is that you have the time that you're going to need to do all those things so that you can lay them gently down. Otherwise, you're going to be carrying them with you on your shoulder for the rest of your life and they will not be able to die. That's the best thing about a slow death. The worst thing about a slow death is it's a slow death. And so the pain increases sometimes and, and you begin, you can't walk and you can't talk and sometimes you don't recognize people, you know, and dementia and Alzheimer's. And so there are lots of bad things about a slow death. And there are lots of good things about a slow death. I think I'd like a slow death, but I'm not sure. I think I would because it would give me time to apologize and forgive and say thank you and I love you and all that to the people that are around me. The best thing about a quick death is it's quick. But unfortunately, you don't get to say goodbye. Okay, some more questions. Do you think differently about death than your close friends and family do? Yes, I do, because that's my passion in life. You know, they're not deaf people. They're not grief people. I am. And so I feel comfortable. I can walk into a room where someone is dying and not feel badly about it. I can talk to people who know they're dying. And trust me, when you're dying, you know it. Everybody who's dying knows they're dying. I'm absolutely certain of it. It's just that they don't want to hurt the ones they love because they think wrongly that by talking about their dying, they're going to hurt the ones they love. And you don't want to talk to them about it because you think that by talking to them about their dying, you're going to hurt them. Trust me. Talk about it. Have the conversation that we've talked about before. Talk about how you're going to miss them. Apologize. Forgive. Thank them. Say goodbye. Tell them you're going to miss them and why. So that you'll be able to carry their memories with you even after they are physically 
not with you. Okay, one more question or two more questions. Um, do you have a secret hunch about how or well or where you will die? I don't know. I've been a rabbi for 45 years. Maybe I'll die on the pulpit giving a sermon. Well, some of my congregants might say, you've done that already, rabbi. <laughs> Many times. I don't know. No, I have no hunch at all where I'm going to be. Uh, what do you think of out-of-body or near-death experiences? I don't know. I used to be very pessimistic about, about the ability of people to do that, but you know what? We know so little about the emotional world in which we live and our insides that I'm not willing to say it's not so. People tell me that they had near-death experiences. I absolutely believe them. So there you are. I think we're done with the questions for tonight. I'm glad that we could all be together. Uh, I look forward to hearing, to listening to you listen to me next week. I'm not sure what our topic is going to be, but I want to begin to talk about um, divorce, loss of integrity, other kinds of losses that are not about the loss of a human being. So remember, Rabbi Mel at griefok.com. This is me saying goodbye, and don't forget, you can go from morning to morning. Bye-bye. I'll see you next time. Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week. 